So we're singing, um, praising and worshiping, and Ryan comes up and was like telling me that my daughter was gonna get baptized. And I'm like, my daughter? And he's like, your daughter. So we're sitting on stage like having this conversation and he's just like, come and get down. And I'm like, do you know who my kid is? Um, so, so I leave, get off stage, and I, he was like, she's gonna get baptized. So I walk to the back and I'm like, Kylie? And she was in the bathroom and I said, are you getting baptized? And she said, yes, mom, I'm not gonna wait one more day. And she comes out the bathroom and she's ready for it. And I'm like, okay, so we're doing this. And church is ending, they've taken the offering. And so we go up and um, it was after service. And so, um, but everybody stayed and Josh told us to go up and she gets into the water and um, Josh says the words, some words to her and then, he asked me if I would baptize her, and I was not prepared for that. For me as a mom to just be in a position where my daughter has decided that she wants to give and dedicate her whole life to Christ and start this new journey, and then for me to get to be there and to baptize her. Like, I wasn't planning on that. I didn't, I didn't even like foresee that in my future, so that was very special um, for me. Wow. Welcome to church. My name is Stuart. I'm one of the pastors here. If you haven't met me before, uh, yeah, we're doing baptisms uh, during uh, the second part of our worship uh, after the sermon today. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have not been baptized, uh, this may be your day, and I hope it is your day. Uh, One of your first acts of obedience as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a follower of his, is to publicly declare your faith. And it's such a great symbol, uh, symbol of what is going on spiritually or what has gone on spiritually in your life that the, you have been buried with Christ uh, going under the water. And as you come back out, that's that new life that Jesus Christ gives us and calls us to. Uh, so if that's you today, if you have never been, whether you're a kid or whether you're um, maybe my age, um, you can take that step today. We have shorts, t-shirts. Uh, We've got hair dryers for ladies if you're worried about your hair, or or guys if you're worried about your beard appearance after you get baptized. We have everything thought of for that. So all you got to do is anytime during the service, if you feel like God is calling you to that, go right back out. And in the back, there's a sign that says decided. Uh, There'll be someone to greet you there and to uh, talk with you and get you ready uh, for that step today. So I just want to give you a heads up. Uh, We are... Continuing on in our series, Hold Fast, where we are walking through this summer, the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's a book that the Apostle Paul, someone called by God to help lead the early church, uh, and he is writing to a church in the city of Corinth, and so that's why it's called Corinthians. He's writing a letter. Really, it sounds like, from what we can gather in the letter, that he's writing it in response to a letter that he has already received from them with some some questions that they might have, and so he's working through some of those issues. He's also heard some things, and so whether good or bad, and so he's addressing those issues as someone who is trying to uh, correct the behavior and the beliefs in this early church in a community, in a culture much like the culture we find ourselves in here in America. It's really a culture of whatever makes me happy, I will pursue it. There are really no laws that that tell me what I can and can't enjoy in life. I'll just make myself happy, and that's kind of the law I live by. That's the, Cor- the Corinthian culture. Uh, they were known for that, and so Paul is trying to, to help direct this early church in that. So we, as we get started, we have our kids with us because we have 
uh, our uh, children's uh, teachers, we're giving them a break this week. And so can we welcome the kids into our gathering this morning? So I have a question for those under 15. So if you're over 15, I got a question for you in just a second. But the under 15, and you can yell it out. We're okay. We're family. And if you're at home and you're in your living room or maybe you're in your car, you can scream it out too. It's all good. So what do you want to be when you grow up? If you're under 15, what do you want to be when you grow up? Firefighter. I love it. A beautician. Did you say musician? Musician, not a beautician. That's different. (laughs) Policeman. In the NBA, I love it. Okay. Those are some great things to be. When I was a kid, people would ask me what I wanted to be, and I might say something like, I wanted to be a firefighter, I wanted to be a, a sheriff's deputy, um, I wanted to be uh, a doctor, president, um, haven't achieved those goals, but still, still time. If you're over 15 and somebody asks you, which I'm asking you to shout out, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. We're in church. You should be honest. I love it. What else? There is, nobody knows what they want to be when they grow up. Somebody in first service, they, they said, I want to be retired. Anybody else relate to that? No matter how old you are, that is kind of like the pinnacle of achievement of what you want to be when you grow up. And I remember back in high school, when people would ask me that, I had a little bit of a panic moment because I didn't know, but I knew you needed to have a great answer, right? So you would come up with some sort of answer and then you'd say like, you know, I remember back then I wanted to be, uh, you know, there's a youth pastor, I wanted to be a counselor, computer programmer, uh, police officer. Uh, all of those things, and but you didn't really know, right? I, I didn't know if I was going to college. I didn't know if I was going to go right into working. I didn't, had no clue what was really going to happen, but you knew you needed to say something, and you kind of just learned to kind of roll with that. And then you talk to people, get older, and I, I found, even in my own life, I'm still trying to figure out, am I doing what God has really called me to do? And so with with a culture that gives us unlimited choices to pursue in our lives, sometimes that can create issues of itself. But I think really at the heart of it, there are two main questions that I want to address today and I think Paul address in, addresses in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And they are right here. Why am I here? You may be wondering that right now. You're sitting with your family now with your kids up here and they're going crazy and you're like, why am I here? But bigger than that, why are we here? Why am I here? And then what exactly am I supposed to be doing? You ever ask those questions? Maybe if you haven't, this is a good time to start thinking through, like, why are you here? What is your ultimate reason for being on the planet Earth, and what should you exactly be doing, knowing that that's why you're here? You may not have a great answer for that. I'm not asking you to make one up, but those are the things that I think Paul is going to address, and I'm, I'm excited because I think he, uh, God gives us some very clear direction in these two Uh, questions and guidance for how we should behave in our lives. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 23. 1 Corinthians 10, 23. It'll be on the screen behind me. You can find it on our app. If you don't have the app, it's great to download. You'll get talk notes there. I always say it. Uh, If you take notes on your phone, 
What's really cool is you can email them to yourself, and then you have them, and you can search them that way. So 1 Corinthians 10.23, and it says this, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the grounds of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the believers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whether you do or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything that I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. And then chapter 11, one really is part of this thought in Paul's argument here, his answer to the Corinthian church. And he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And really what we're finding here is we're, we're at the conclusion of a three-chapter response to a question that the Corinthian church asked, is, which, which had some, we don't know what it is specifically, but by his answer we can tell it was something like, now that we're in Jesus Christ, can we go worship at the temples that are in our city, like for Apollo or Aphrodite? Is it okay to go at, because our family's still going there, my friends still go there. It's socially and business, like for business, it's advantageous to interact with people I know in the community, and that's kind of where they're going. So is it okay to do that? And so he's responding to that. And what he said pretty much in the, in the previous chapters of the last two weeks, starting in chapter eight, he's like, no, you can't participate in both. But then uh, to understand where we're going to go in chapter, or chapter 10, verse 23, we need to understand really the first 22 verses in this chapter, which we're not going to read. Uh, but we, I'm going to just kind of briefly tell you, kind of fly over, um, and we'll talk about it just quickly, like why Paul makes the argument in this chapter that he does, and then how it pertains to meat sacrifice to idols, and then how that pertains to why are we here, and what exactly should we be doing. So in verses 1 through 13, he brings up Israel as a nation And he talks about how they were brought out of Egypt. If you remember, uh, God called Abraham and said, I'll make you a great nation. So then you have Isaac, his kid, and then you have Jacob. And then you have Jacob, who is renamed Israel. And they go into, because of a famine, they travel into Egypt because Egypt had food because God had sent Joseph ahead of them to have food. And so God uses that then uh, to help protect them during a very difficult time in the region. So they're in Egypt. Well, they grow so much, God blesses them so much, the Egyptians start to fear them and enslave them. And so now they're, they're living as slaves in Egypt, which is not exactly the ideal situation. And it gets so bad, they start to cry out to God over and over. And God sends Moses to them to draw them out of Egypt into the desert and eventually tells them they'll be called into the promised land and give you land that will be yours. And so they get called out through Moses into the desert. And he's using this as an example. And he's, the, the tie-in to us today is that through Jesus Christ, we have been called out of our sin into freedom from that sin. And Israel, he says, used that freedom to pursue whatever they wanted. They grumbled in the desert. They complained. They wanted to go back to Egypt. 
They started to pursue other gods around them and the nations around them. And it did not end well for the people who came out of Egypt. In fact, only two of the the people who came out of Egypt actually entered the promised land. It was all the kids of that group that came out. Because they used their freedom to do whatever they wanted to do. And that was not what God called them into. And this is maybe a test. I want you to answer. So there's not a trick question. But what, what did God say he called the nation of Israel out of Egypt to do in the desert? Do you remember? He calls them out to worship. He tells Pharaoh over and over again, let my people go so that they can worship me. And in the same sense, we are called out of our sin through Jesus Christ so that we can worship God. And so Paul is making this connection. So then then he goes on to kind of sum up what he has already said in the previous two chapters. He's like, you cannot follow Jesus Christ and worship other gods side by side. It just doesn't work. It's, It's not sending a good message to the people who are trying to understand that there is a completely... Uh, new life in Jesus Christ, that this is not just one of many gods, but this is, there is a one true God, and you, you worship him only, and you don't intermix that with others. And so he's making that point in verses, what, 14 through 22. And so then we pick it up in verse 23. And so now he's talking about some specific issues that they've asked about um, meat sacrifice to the pagan idols. What if you're in the market, you're at the grocery store in Corinth, and you buy some meat, and it's been sacrificed to Apollo, or it's been sacrificed to Aphrodite. Is it okay to to buy that meat and take it home and consume it? And Paul says, absolutely. Now, if you what I thought, thought was cool was they've, they've excavated in the, in the region where Corinth um, was, and they, you have literally the temple for Apollo sitting right there, and then off that is a courtyard with all these open-air market shops. So literally, they would have had extra meat from worshiping Apollo. They would have brought it that day or the next day and sold it to try to just not waste it and to, to make some extra income right there. And so it's a real thing. Like these Christians are walking through this market to buy their groceries, and they're asking, is it okay then to do that? And Paul says, absolutely, do that. They, another what if. What if one of your friends invites you over to their house and they, for dinner, and you go, and They serve you some of this meat, and can I eat that? Paul says, yes, unless, unless somebody else at the place, at the dinner, says, hey, that meat's been sacrificed to Apollo or Aphrodite or some other god. Then he says, no, don't do it. Why? Because of their conscience, not ours. So Paul's, does Paul's conviction change at all on whether it's you have freedom to eat meat sacrificed to idols? No, his conviction doesn't change. Our conviction doesn't change. We're still in freedom through Christ Jesus, right? But he says, there's a reason why you might limit it. It's because of the betterment of the other person, of somebody else who might view that and then decide it's okay to mix things with Christianity. It's okay to mix things with God. Now, I don't know about you, but I've not gone to Fred Meyer's and found the section of meat sacrificed to a foreign god and I've not had these discussions when I've been over at my friend's houses eating dinner. I don't know about you guys. Maybe you have interesting friends, but it's just not something that we wrestle with here. So Paul, there really is a principle, though, that he is being driven by. There's something that is, is creating a limit or a guardrail on his freedom that he's intentionally choosing not to partake, and he's encouraging the Corinthians to withhold, even though 
He's just argued you have complete freedom, but yet there is a time when you may not want to exercise that freedom. So what's the principle? And I think we see that in verse 24 when he says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Paul is clearly living for something else. And so then the question that comes up in my mind, what is he living for? If he's saying we should live for the betterment of our neighbor, then what's the underlying principle that drives me to that point? And we see it in verse 31 of chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Paul is living for the glory of God. So every decision that he is making in his life, he's asking, is this bringing glory to God? Or is this shining focus and priority into my own life? So that's a guiding principle that Paul is living by. He's like, you have all the freedom, but there are times when you want to limit it, and the limit really is this filter that we we look at our lives through, and that's, am I glorifying God with my actions, my words, and my behavior? And so then this brings up, I think, uh, a, a tension in our lives, because we're either drawn to liberty, and we created a graphic that I want to show that maybe helps explain some of this. Um, We're either drawn to liberty, which is I have freedom in Christ, I have been called out of my sin, I can do whatever I want, leave me alone. And you can be dead in that, right? You can be so free that you're actually not following God at all. Or we tend to go the other direction, and we, we start loading up all the rules on us and other people around us. And we're like, I, I've got to do everything right all the time. It's, it's just got to fall. If you just give me a rule, I will follow it and check the box. And we can also be dead over here. We can be doing all the right things and missing out on the freedom that Christ has called us into. And so what do we naturally do? It's like a teeter-totter. You remember kids playing on the playground and a teeter-totter. And the goal is to try to balance it, no matter if you've got one kid on each end or 12 kids on each end, is you're trying to figure out how to pivot it and find that balance. But here's the problem. Christ doesn't live in the middle. He's not in the balance. So where is he in this? How do we figure out that that delicate balance of legalism and liberty? Well, it's don't think of balance. It's keeping our eyes focused on God, glorifying God. That's the principle that Paul is talking about. Everything in his life is focused on God, which means I'm not thinking about myself. It's a selflessness that's driving us to put our focus on God and ultimately on what pleases him and how we interact with other people. So we have a, we'll complete the graphic. So we're focusing on, on Jesus. That's, we love God. We want to glorify him. And then that's through selflessness that that comes. And that's where Jesus is found. And that's how we figure out this complexity of liberty and legalism. So I have a question, and this one stepped on my own toes, and I love it when I'm trying to prepare a message and I step on my own toes, so I know it's going to step on yours, and I would apologize, but my toes hurt, so I'm going to join, bring you into the misery. This is a question to think on um, as we talk about this. Is your goal in life to be more like you or more like Christ? And what I mean by that, is your goal to try to add Christ to your life Or is your goal to glorify God through a new life that Jesus Christ brings? I think too often I just want my life, however messed up it is, it's comfortable, and I just want Christ to make it better. And I'm not willing to take the next step, which is giving it all away and living the life that Christ has called for me. 
Paul talks about, um, so how do we find this, not balance, but how do we find this place where we are glorifying God? And Paul talks about back in chapter 9, we won't read it, but it's there if you want to go back, nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 21. And he's basically saying, hey, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. I lived under their rules. But to the, to, to the Gentiles, I, I became as those with no law. And then he has a parenthesis in verse 21, and he says, I actually wasn't not under the law. I was under the law of Christ. So it brings up this idea that Paul is living by, to glorify God, he's living by what he calls the law of Christ. So then, what's the law of Christ? If we're supposed to be living, like finding where we are between liberty and legalism and how we honor and glorify God, what is the law of Christ? And I think we see it in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. And it says this, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. So the Sadducees and the Pharisees were... were Religious leaders at the time, they didn't like Jesus gaining popularity. Uh, they were, he was calling them out as being people who f- were totally into the legalism side. You, can do, you do all the rules, but yet you, you haven't actually engaged God in any way in your heart. And so you're, you look good from the outside, but there's really no, nothing to it. You're actually dead inside. And so the Sadducees had come up, and they're just different groups, and challenged him and he had sent them running and so then the pharisees bring a lawyer in and they're like hey let's let's have him ask jesus a question someone who would have known the law really well the jewish law and he says so it says this and one of them a lawyer asked him a question to test him teacher which is the great commandment in the law and you remember there are there are hundreds of commandments in the old testament in the mosaic law so they're trying to like get him to pick one and they'd be like well no it's not that one it's another one so Jesus answers this. He, this is very popular. So, and he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then he goes on and he says, A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The law of Christ. What is it? It's to glorify and love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus makes it super simple, and I love that he does. Love God, love others. And I like that because I can remember that. What am I supposed to be doing at any given time in my life? Love God, love others. And the problem with my, in my life, and it may be yours too, is not that I don't know that. It's not that that hasn't been made clear to me and that I don't understand that I'm supposed to be doing that because it sounds super noble. But the reality is I'm just comfortable in my own life. I get distracted and busy, and I don't necessarily think about it all the time. I just think about what's expedient right now, what, what makes the most sense right now in my life, rather than is this actually glorifying God and loving other people well. And if I'm honest, I can go a step deeper than that and say I love the idea of loving God, and I love the idea of loving other people because it sounds super noble and big and self-sacrificial, but the reality is when it comes down to practical living, Maybe I'm not so good at it. Um, And so what does it look like to follow the law of Christ in maybe some everyday circumstances? For the kids in the room, if you're coloring on your paper, just for a second, look up. Have you ever been to a birthday party? Raise your hand if you're a kid and you've been to a birthday party. Yeah, do you remember a birthday party maybe when they had cupcakes out for all the kids at the birthday party? I like cupcakes, and we have birthday parties. We've just had two in the last like month and a half or so at our house, and our kids like cupcakes, which I love. Um, 
Have you ever been to a party where they serve cupcakes and everybody got one, and then there was like two left, and there were still 10 people staring at those two cupcakes, right? So you want the cupcake. What do you do? I know I want to go for it. I'm trying to vie and figure out. Every kid around that table is doing the same thing. How can I get one of those two cupcakes? Because there's not enough, and we can't split them because that's no good. I need all of the cupcakes. So now we're all going to have cupcakes when we're done. But what if you decided to step back and not enter into that competition because you wanted somebody else to experience the joy of having that second cupcake? Loving God, loving others. As believers, do we have freedom, adults in the room, to drink alcohol? When you're out to dinner, when you're at home, when you're over at a friend's house, I think you could make a pretty good argument in Scripture that we have freedom to do that, that Christ has given us that freedom. What if you're at a friend's house and somebody has invited another friend you know is struggling with alcohol, that has maybe devastated their marriage, or that just they're personally struggling with trying to keep it together? Would you forego having an alcoholic beverage for one night in your life so that you could care for someone else. I think we would all agree you probably should do that. This became super real for me. Um, A few weeks ago, my family and I took a day trip down to Seward, and we were coming back. And if you've been down there, maybe you've been dip netting or fishing uh, down on the Kenai, but you're coming back. And as you approach Girdwood, there's a lot of construction, right? They're redoing the bridge and the road. And it's right at the bottom of a big hill. And so I had seen some police officers at the top of the hill, and I knew the speed limit was, was dropping. But by the time I was just coasting, I was in my wife's car, I'll use that as my excuse, it was not slowing down near as fast as I know it should, but I was too cool to tap the brakes and slow all the way down because it drops to 25 through that construction zone. And I was going a little above 25 when I passed a second police officer right in the construction zone, and he did a U-turn, immediately pulled me over. Uh, And I love it, so I'll tell you a little bit about the story. So he comes up to the window, he's a super professional guy. If you're watching, um, you were amazing, such a pro, um, in many ways. He comes up and he asks for my license, which I hand to him, and you know, my kids are all in the car, and one kid's already out of her seatbelt, and then she realizes she probably should be in her seatbelt, so she's panicked, and so I give her the license, and he asks for my registration, and I cannot find it. So we, we look in the little book, and it's, if we have a lot of kids, it's my wife's car, and like glove box and center console has a lot of items in it. So we start like opening, and he just sees this is going to be a while. So he's like, I'll come back. So he goes back to the car, starts, you know, writing up whatever he's going to do. And like 10 minutes later, in that 10 minutes, my wife and I had like made a dis- disastrous mess of like pulling everything out of our glove box, everything out of the center console, any nook and cranny in our car where the registration might exist. We could not find it. We found the two previous ones. So he comes back up to the window and nicely asks, any luck? And I said, no, we can find the other two, but we can't find the current one. And he goes, yeah, it's expired. And he knew that when he first walked up and grabbed my license because he could see my license plate and he knew that it was expired. And I thought I had paid it. But, so he was nice. He didn't give me a speeding ticket, but he did give me a fix-it ticket for the getting your registration immediately. So I did that. We're all good. I am not a fugitive, so don't <laughs> dial 911. I'd appreciate it. Um, so then we pull out from the police, from that fun interaction, and drove around turning an arm. And I can tell you a couple things that my kids told me. Every speed limit sign, they got to read <laughs> and tell me what the speed limit was. He- heads up, if you're going down there, I always thought it was 65 going around turning an arm, but it's not. <laughs> it's 55. 
So just a, just a pro warning, I just because I care about you. Um, but so my kids would ask, they would read the speed limit sign all the way back, and we live up in Chugiak, so it was another hour. Every speed limit sign, speed limit 65, Dad. How fast are you going? Even my wife got in on the fun. So all the way home. And then in the week since, whether I'm driving all of them or some of them around, they'll read the speed limit sign and the next question, how fast are you going, Dad? So as adults, we know that there is the letter of the law, the speed limit of 65, but there's the intent and the spirit of the law, which is the public good and safety. And so we could argue, I think, pretty good, and I have in the past, of you could go 69, 70, and if traffic's really moving, maybe you could push it a little more. And that's okay because, you know, Alaskan police officers are not going to pull you over at that. You'll be causing a traffic jam, whatever. But when my kids are in the car and they're asking me, how fast am I going compared to what the law says? Do I limit my freedom so that my kid can understand that I have a higher authority to answer to than my own explanation that they may or may not understand? I do. So I've been going on the Glen between Chugiak and Eagle River, 65 miles per hour, because that's what my kids deserve from a father who wants to set an example. And Paul is arguing the very same thing as we limit our, our liberty. We have the liberty. You could argue for it. And Paul just did in the last three chapters, but he says, but there's a time when you want to limit it. And the, the way you, you screen that is, is it bringing glory to God and is it loving others well? If you're married, you know this to be true, right? You, when you get married, you have freedom to be the person you were before you got married. You can go hang out with all your friends just the way you did, keep your own schedule, never check with your spouse, and that's going to lead to a very specific kind of ending in your marriage. Or you can put them first. You can change and limit some of your freedom so that you can love your spouse well, and that's going to lead you on a very drastically different course in your marriage. And I think we need to acknowledge that there's really kind of two kinds, there's really kind of two kinds of freedom. That sounded very redundant. There are two kinds of freedom that we struggle with, and I want to contrast them. There's the American idea of freedom, and it really asks this, what's good for me? What's good for me? And there's a biblical freedom which asks, what's good for God and others? And that's what Paul is really pushing against with the Corinthian church. They were struggling with the same things. And here's a secret. This is not really part of the sermon, but I, I want to get, let you in on just an observation of somebody who I love watching people and interacting in just my own life and successes and failures. If you live your life to please yourself all the time, like it's always about me being happy and satisfied and fulfilled, you're never going to quite get it. You may grasp it just barely occasionally, but it's going to go away. If you live your life to please God and to love others, you're going to find as a byproduct that God has designed the universe to give you fulfillment in life. So you can pursue what you want to pursue. You've been given freedom, but there are results for it. And to go back to, to Israel, really, they believed that they had been set free from Egypt so that they could live however they wanted to. What's good for me is what Israel was asking back, and that's why Paul brings it up in this passage. But really, there's a different question. It's really or an idea, and that is, I have been freed from sin, like Israel had been freed from slavery so that I can do something, what? Glorify God and love other people, to live the law of Christ. Love God and love others. And I love that he gets to 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, which really is the last verse in this thought in his three-chapter argument. And he says this, 
be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul is giving this big, big answer to their question about meat sacrifice and idols, but it really came down to he's living to glorify God so that others can see Jesus Christ and find salvation so that he can love God and love others. That's really the guiding principle that he's, he's, he's answering the Corinthian church with is you have freedom, but use it wisely. Use the glorify God as your screen But then he ends it with the be imitators of me. So he's not asking them to do anything that he himself wasn't doing. He wasn't like, I don't know if you've been a, a parent, parents in the room, maybe kids, you've heard this, is do what I say, not what I do, right? I've heard that, I heard that from my parents growing up, and I think as parents, I've said that uh, to my kids where I realize that I'm asking them to do something that I'm not actually doing. Paul here is saying imitate me and he's actually doing it. He's limiting his freedom. He's just given us a three-chapter explanation of how he has freedom, how he has rights, and he's put all of them aside so that others can find Jesus Christ and that God would ultimately be glorified. So he's saying, imitate me as I do that, but he's saying, I learned it from someone else. I learned it from Christ. So imitate me as I imitate Christ. So then my question is, what was Christ doing that Paul was telling us to imitate in him? And I think we've, we get a clue of that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. And it says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on the cross. So Paul is imitating, he's telling the Corinthians and us, because we're now reading his letter, to imitate him. Well, what was he imitating? Christ, what did Christ do? Christ who was king of kings, lord of lords, creator of everything that you see, humbled himself and became a servant and he was obedient to his mission to glorify God to the point of voluntarily being hung on a cross so that he could give you righteousness and take your sin away. That's a great example to follow. He was a servant. The king became a servant. Jesus Christ is not trying to help you live your life better. He's calling you to live a completely different life, and that's the life of a servant. Dr. Tom Constable, who wrote a commentary, uh, which is just somebody doing research on a Bible passage. You can go online. You can Google different commentaries. Uh, there are a lot of good ones out there. There's some scary ones, too, so you get what you pay for sometimes. But he, he had an observation, and he basically... the. the the idea of, I just want Christ to make my life better. I'm just going to add Christ to whatever I'm doing and pursuing in life. And that, that's probably, is, you know, that's going to work out okay. He calls that a helper. It's like, it's, when it's good for you, you'll do that. And then he has a servant. And there's, those are people who are looking for that new life, a new heart. I'm willing to give you my life, Christ, because it's just not, it's, A, it's not working. B, it doesn't actually glorify God in any way. I want a new life and a new heart. And he calls that a servant. And so he made a chart which contrasts those. 
And I can see myself on both sides of this. So maybe you'll see yourself in that as well as I read through these. A helper. A helper helps others when it's convenient. A servant serves others even when it's inconvenient. A helper helps people that they like. A servant serves people that they dislike. A helper helps when they enjoy the work. A servant serves when they dislike the work. A helper helps when the circumstances are convenient. And a servant serves even when the circumstances are inconvenient. A helper helps with a view of obtaining personal satisfaction. A servant serves even when they receive no personal satisfaction. A helper helps with an attitude of assisting another. And a servant serves with an attitude of enabling another. They want to see somebody connect with God and have a new life change. Someone saved, as Paul calls it. So in chapter 10, and really 8, 9, and 10, Paul, again, is arguing that we have this freedom in Jesus Christ, that we have been called out of our sin, we've been called out of our old way of life, but we haven't just been called and forgotten, we've been called into something which is truly to glorify God by what we do, and that is shown in how we treat other people around us. And it makes a difference when we love God and we love others. I think when we care more about the spiritual condition of the people around us than we do about our personal freedoms, we're on the right track when we talk about this. So to address the questions that we ask at the beginning, why am I here? What exactly should I be doing? Um, Maybe if you grew up in a more um, liturgical church, you went through a catechism, um, which is a series of questions and answers with theological focus to try to help you understand what Scripture is calling you to. It's trying to boil down into simple statements uh, to help us remember what we really should be doing and focused on. And so uh, back in the 1600s, there was uh, one of these, the Westminster Catechism. I'm going to read from the shorter catechism. Question one, it says this, because it answers our question, why are we here? What is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Exactly what the Apostle Paul is calling us to in 1 Corinthians, and God is calling us to today. We are here to glorify God. So how should we live knowing that? We should glorify God and love others, love our neighbors as ourselves. So what are some specific actions that we can take in this? On your seat when you came in, there was a card, and at the bottom of that card uh, it was an action card. We have these most weeks, and we encourage you to take your card out. Uh, if you fill out just your name and contact info, we will just send you a reminder this week that you checked one of these boxes, that you're wanting to take a step uh, as a response to what you're, you're hearing from God today. Uh, we're not going to stalk you or put you on any kind of a, a sales list or anything like that. We just want to be able to to walk with you and encourage you that way. Um, So the first one is this. Begin a relationship with Jesus, and that's the ultimate goal. We need to connect with Jesus first because if we don't and we just start adding, caring about the people around us, which are good things, we end up on the falling into the legalism side. We're going to do all the right things because we, we think that's what Christians should do, but we haven't actually experienced the freedom that Christ has brought. So the first step really is to commit to following Jesus Christ sacrificing or surrendering your life to him. The second is get baptized. And we have 
uh, the tank up here today. Uh, so far this week, I believe we baptized five people, which is super exciting. Um, I love it. And you, you heard Mia's story. She got to baptize her kid. I've had the privilege of baptizing four of my five girls so far, uh, praying for the fifth. And it's such a neat thing to see when a believer uh, steps up and takes that next step of obedience. And so you may be a kid today and you're following Jesus and you've not yet been baptized. You may be uh, someone uh, almost as old as I am and you've never been baptized. But really it's that step of obedience and it's not too late. And so we, as I said earlier, you can get up anytime. You can go to the back. There'll be somebody there to greet you and they will direct you in that. And you can be, you can be baptized today. Um, third step is you could, or third action is apply the law of Christ in a relationship this week. Maybe there's a, a hard relationship that you've been avoiding or when you're in it, you, you're treating the other person with contempt, maybe just by ignoring them or not telling them the truth. Uh, or maybe you're telling them the truth in not a loving way. Uh, maybe you just kind of want to get under their skin or secretly hoping they fail. And that could be a coworker, that could be a family member, uh, that could be just maybe a friend that's maybe a little out from you. Whatever it is, bring the law of Christ into that relationship this week. How can you glorify God and love your neighbor as yourself? How can you do both of those things and fulfill the law of Christ? And the last thing is to join an ACF serve team. Our serve teams make everything happen around here. Uh, Nobody does anything by themselves here, and I love it. When you join a team, you're you're stepping into community, but you're getting things done, like all the lights you see, any image you see on the screen. um, You got song lyrics, you've got tank got filled up. We have music being played that draws us into worship of God. Somebody maybe pointed you in the right parking space. Somebody said hi to you as you walk through the door. On a normal Sunday, you're going to be having loving teachers caring for your kids downstairs and teaching them about Jesus and helping to point them in the right direction. All of these things uh, take serve teams. And in the middle of September, we are launching, really planting another service uh, at 1130. So we're going to switch times at that time, not right now, so keep coming the normal times, 9 and 11 on, on Sundays. But we're, we're launching that third service. And so what that means is, at that time, we're going to need more teams to care for kids, more teams to uh, let those who are serving currently not have to bear the brunt of all of that effort. And so maybe God is calling you today to, to step up and join one of those serve teams. I mean, encourage you, why would you do it now and not wait till middle of September to do it? Well, a lot of them take background checks. A lot of them take training. Uh, we want to make sure that you fit in on that team, that it's, you're, you're good to go. Uh, so now is the time to say, I'm interested. When you check that box, you're not committing your entire life away. What you are actually saying is, I just want to talk to somebody and see what the option might be. That's it. It's not a huge step yet. Uh, and so you, can, you, you have control of how you serve. And I want to encourage you to take that step um, so that you will be ready when we launch that third service so that God can be glorified and we can love uh, each other. Would you stand up as we, and you can take that card, yeah, stand up as we close our time uh, in service, our sermon today, but at that card as you leave today, you can drop that in a basket. Again, if you would like to be baptized today, uh, there's someone out in the back uh, by the decided sign will greet you and get you taken care of. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for your great love for us, Lord. I thank you that you have set the ultimate example that, Lord, you being the King of kings, the Lord of lords, You came to earth in the man Jesus and you walked this earth and voluntarily went to a cross 
that you didn't deserve, Lord, so that we, we could find our, uh, your righteousness put upon us, that we could be right before the God who created us, and we could exchange that for the only thing we had to offer, which was our sin. Lord, you have called us out of that into a relationship with you so that we can glorify you and love others. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to step into that, that you would help us to experience our freedom in a way that that accomplishes and fulfills the law of Christ. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And it's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.